Welcome to The Strong Room. This is our weekly series featuring interviews with families and business owners telling their stories. Our team of estate planning professionals presenting timely legal and tax advice and valuable information on charitable giving. The Strong Room is hosted by Sherry McMillan, President of McMillan Estate Planning. On today's program, Sherry previews some of the key topics she'll be discussing at the upcoming McMillan Estate Planning Life and Legacy Seminar, Tuesday, February 4th. You can register online for this complimentary event at macmillanestate.com. This is The Strong Room. I'm Herb Hamm. On this segment of the program, estate and trust planning specialist Sherry McMillan, in conversation with Peter Watts of News Talk 770, explains why a will is often not enough when it comes to estate planning. The will is the most traditional form of estate planning. It's what we often think of when we think of estate planning. In effect, a will is a legal document that disposes of your assets. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about what a will does and accomplish. And I go back in history because if we look back in time, will planning came about out of old English law in actuality. And the reason that that is really important is, as you know, a long time ago in old English law, we had two classes of individuals operating in society at that time. We had the peasants, the serfs, and then we also had the very royal, the aristocrats, the lords, the kings, the queens. And the interesting part is that they created two forms of law for managing those two groups of individuals in the community. And it's not different today, in fact. So what happened back then was the kings, the queens would have us peasants and serfs prepare a will document, which was a governing document to make sure that they were able to collect the tax. And so they would then oversee through the court systems the amount of tax that you would owe as a family and ultimately be able to collect that before your beneficiaries ever took value out of the estate. So often they collected the land, for example, away from the family. One of the differences, it seems to me, between wills and estate plans or living plans is that wills don't necessarily take into account any expenses that have to be paid out. Everything's frozen at death, and so all those expenses have to be addressed in some form over and above whatever the will dictates in terms of the dissemination of the estate. And what occurs when we've passed on and we're utilizing a will as our estate plan is that we call that a death plan and in effect our estate becomes frozen. In particular in Alberta at current processes time it, it is taking us about 18 months to execute an estate through to a family and them to receive that value. So it's a big problem and it can be problematic because ultimately if a family needs value to live in lifestyle for example a spouse if you've left behind your spouse, do they have enough value in their own hands or have you, in fact, in your estate plan, created an effect where they will have value? They could be shortfall during their retirement phase of life and not have enough money for their own lifestyle, their groceries, for example. So this is a really crucial area in estate planning that we have to give contemplation to and a will neglects it entirely. So a will, to me, is a valuable tool for families that have a net worth of less than a million. If your estate is worth less 
less than that, perhaps that is the right functional tool for you as a family member. But once you've reached a million plus, we call it outgrowing the will. But what happens is you need a living plan. You don't just need a distribution plan. You need a plan that is going to protect your lifestyle for you and your spouse, and then in turn have an ease of flow to the next generation in a private way. And the beauty of the estate plan is that it will provide some of that cash flow to the surviving spouse for any living expenses of any kind, any health expenses, any housing and so forth, without the concern of having to conduct a fire sale of assets in order to generate cash to keep that surviving spouse comfortable. And I think, you know, we've seen spouses very sadly, Peter, be put in a position where they're putting the funeral charges on their visa card because they have no access to cash or they're borrowing from their children. This is not an acceptable position to be put in because we've utilized a will and we're ill-prepared for the passing of our partner. So rather than a will process, we look at alternative living plans in estate planning because the will is limited at a number of levels. Not only does it freeze the estate at that first outcome, it's not a tax plan and most families are driven to save tax. And so, you know, often they've designed their estate as a husband and wife to have an equal division of value. So each spouse would have maybe half of the estate. And then at the end of life, they use this will process where they transfer the entire estate to one another and force the person that is left behind into the highest tax bracket. And so they did, you know, decades of good tax planning and they destroy it in one moment in time. So now that leads us nicely into the concept of a trust. There are a bunch of different kinds. Let's start with a basic definition of what a trust does. A trust is something that I go back in our uh, history, again, back to old English law. It was established for that other class of individuals that were very wealthy. And what they did at that time is they decided that they would create what I call the third family member. It's a holding pot. It's a holding pot for our estate. So you can put anything in a trust. You can put real estate. You can put your family business, your family farm. And the advantage of holding your wealth inside this new mechanism that you create, and it is phantom, you're making it up, is that that third party has very substantial tax advantages to begin with. It has privacy, which is very unique. And in modern society, it has protection for dower. And the reason I share that is it's very difficult today with a 50% divorce rate to protect our estates. And so many of us are really, really driven to find out how can I make sure that if my spouse marries again when I'm gone or my children experience a divorce, that the wealth that our family has created remains with our family and stays in our bloodline. And doesn't get dissipated across a bunch of different family members who have come into this blended family from outside. They've actually done studies in this area, Peter, and they say that most of us will lose our estate to non-bloodline in the last five years of life. In reality, we worked really diligently as a family group to create our estate, and then yet we've got a lack of planning because typically we use a will. And the will will say, I leave it to my spouse in full, and then the next tier is often, then I leave it to my children. Now, the problem is if that spouse marries again or just becomes even common law, then they have the dower rights enacted. And what that means is if that spouse that's left behind happens to pass on prior to their new partner, then there's a huge potential that the whole family's wealth will transfer to the new partner. And I can tell you in two decades of planning, I have never seen that new spouse 
give back the estate to the originating bloodline, those original children. In fact, their will says it goes to their own. And so in very sad circumstances, many estates are being lost. Uh, Not deliberately, Peter, I think it's just a lack of understanding in the community and a limitation of tools that we think used to protect us. And so to me, once you are past that million-dollar threshold, the will is just not the right plan for us any longer. Well, it's not an adequate plan. It, it only deals with that point when you die and, and the distribution ensues. The estate plan, properly done, begins while you're still alive, plans for the balance of your life, and plans for what you want to do with the family business, the family farm, the assets that you've spent a lifetime accumulating, and, and how they will be used going forward, and perhaps distributed after death. If you think about the use of different types of trusts in history, the unique part is it's how the royal family has actually been able to preserve castles, really, for thousands of years. And so we look at the modern marriage of Will and Kate, and it's very interesting because they've had a new baby, as you know. Um, But what is happening is the fact is that she will benefit as the spouse of William, but if she ever were to prematurely pass or divorce, um, the castles that they reside in, the benefits of the wealth that they have from the income that is created from it, will remain in that royal family. Uh, Kate will be able to participate, provided she's part of the family. If she's no longer part of the family, then those castles will not be lost. And so this is a very high-level picture of what a trust can accomplish and a living plan can accomplish. We have a social calendar going here with uh, with Kate and Will. But we have seen all too often examples of divorce in the royal family in the last 25 years, where, as you say, it was important that the castles remain a part of the royal collection, um, regardless of what happened to the people that live inside them. That's right. And ultimately, when we look at our own estates here in Canada, I would suggest to you in the last 25, 50 years, we've already started to create our own wealth. And we do have multi-millionaires. Um, they did a study a few years ago and we have over 300,000 Canadians that are over 10 million. So there's a many of us that have created extreme affluence and have the need to create protection for our family because especially a In family business, as an example, Peter, we find that family business owners typically have predominantly their wealth tied up in the family business. They're not necessarily positioned in a lot of cash reserve, but rather their wealth is held, you know, a $50 million business, but it's in the business. So if we allow that business to be exposed to, you know, dower rights as a case study, um, we could wipe out a family business. And so really, we need to protect these particular kinds of assets in the same way the royal family protects their castle because it is our nest egg. It's it's going to be what protects our lifestyle, uh, not just while we're in our retirement phases of life, but of course in the next generation and potentially even into the hands of grandchildren. This is The Strong Room. And when we come back, Sherry gives us a framework for what's possible in estate planning. 